Okay, Peter, we're back. It feels like a new week. It feels like a new dawn. But it felt like last week was like a necessary roadblock of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. And through that, uh, obviously, I disappointed a few people by not being able to make it to Canada, which was a big crux of some of my stress and anxiety. And I'm very sorry, but I will make it up to you. I will be back. But this weekend was honestly very rewarding. And uh, I had the chance to kind of take a day to myself, which was lovely, and handle some things in town. But now we're back to all guns blazing. I had one of those weekends that should have stressed me out more, but I was like kind of above it. I was kind of floating, Peter. And now we're recording earlier in the morning than we've ever recorded because I'm flying to the UK tonight. And then uh, I will be gone until Monday. So we are going to have episodes the next two weeks, but we're going to have to figure something out because I'm going to Japan for 10 days, man. I'm getting back. We can record, and then I leave again. I'm out in the dust. My visa is approved. We're picking it up today. We're clear. Excellent. I'm gonna be out in the out in the sky, heading to. Here's the thing, Peter. The UK is stressing me out a little bit, and we'll get into the bigger news. Not that this is this is never going to be a news podcast, but there are times when we are affected. I think by the news in our own lives and in the way things line up. And it happens. I don't find it as much as. Well, let me tell you this, think, Peter. But... I'll get to the second part, which I was talking about a tweet I tweeted earlier, and it really fascinates me to think about oopsie-daisying oopsie myself into owning a chocolate factory that's self-contained. <laughs> but we'll go back to that, because England had me thinking about Willy Wonka a bit, and you know, Timothy Chalamet is going to play Willy Wonka again, To for what reason, we don't know. It's been done. Every weirdo in Hollywood, they're like, hey, if you do Willy Wonka, you can be a part of a lawsuit in a few years. And they're like, that sounds like the perfect Hollywood way to go. Depp did it. I'm sure Wilder did it. Now it's time for Chalamet. It's time for him to be Wonka and then be involved in some kind of scandal. Let's go. What are we going to do? I don't think Gene Wilder was involved in a scandal, though. I, I don't think so. You know the the trick with where he falls over at right. the beginning? That was his requirement for doing the movie. Was I got to play a little trick? Yeah. Well, he, he wanted it to be obvious that you couldn't trust him the entire movie. You can't. And I also think of him going like, you lose, like, good day, sir. And there's that, that beautiful Gemini spirit of, I'll let you come hang out in my chocolate factory. The second you fuck on me, I'm going to be a different Gene Wilder. I'm going to be a myth. And I'm going to ruin you. Uh, I do want to say that the Willy Wonka role is an almost perfectly executed regal role in the wrestling world. Quarter rolls just, I mean, the man knows how to roll safely and you can tell. I'm just fascinated sometimes with the, the kind of in-between of wrestling and the stunt work that you see. I remember specifically that Harley Quinn movie. Uh, she did some really cool wrestling moves and Margot Robbie did her own stunts in this film. So to see like the influence of pro wrestling in the world of stunt, even going back to Gene Wilder doing quarter rolls, which are a common thing for some performers, but a very common thing for wrestlers. Uh, pretty sick, but here's why I'm bringing up England last week. I had, you know, kind of a meltdown and it was fine. We needed it. I needed to emotionally release a little bit. I think after just going nonstop for what felt like two straight years of nonstop, which my mother pointed out to me, but she came to visit on Thursday after we recorded. Thank God. Just like sometimes having looking over to the side and your mom's like, what else do we need to do? And she is helping me do tasks and like get it together and it just it was so beneficial but my mom is retired now and even before she was retired almost every year she went to the UK and she went to see Wimbledon and she's gone before to see Adele one time she told me wow. she goes uh 
I thought we were going to get mugged. I said, what? She said, uh, we had tickets to Adele and she'd canceled the rest of the shows because of her voice. So we, we were wearing our Adele stuff and going to the show and we were like, they're going to get us. These are in high demand. And I just like to think of like, there's a guy out on the street with a switchblade and he's just like, well, 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 what do we have here? Some lovely ladies with tickets to see Adele. I bet they'd be a nice evening. Why don't we hand them over and nobody gets cut up willy nilly. But like, she had this fear. And then I learned another story while she was here, which kind of clicked it together. And I was sort of like, we are related mother where she escaped some muggers on the like Paris subway system and was like doing a little, let's get in and out of the train and avoid them and left him there. And they were trying to follow her. And I was like, mom, you're just like, you're out here conquering Europe and I'm really into it. But the moment she got there, the queen passed away. And I was like, there's something very fitting on this of this is one of your favorite countries. I'm going there for the first time in my life. And now we're having this moment together where like, this is emotionally affecting you. And I want to be clear about the queen. This is a human lesson that you all have to learn that it took me a while to learn. I'm 32 now. So I've, I've learned there will always be a way to win an argument and there will always be a way to bring your point in. Now in the 70 year reign, was there a lot of horrible colonization, racism, uh, the British Empire reaching too far. There were a lot of these things. These are true. These are facts. The queen was in charge of it. But to be dismissive of someone else's loss or pain because this person, you're like, well, you know, they were actually a bad person. We all are. We're all bad. You know what my dad said growing up? He said, I can never hurt an animal, but I know a man's done some stupid shit, so I'm sure I could leverage it and handle him. You know what I mean? So, yeah, we're all idiots. I'm sure when I die, people are going to be like, you know, he also humped a girl one time in the ring. It's going to happen, but for someone to show, you know, their perspective of this person, of the queen, of the queen of England that has brought them a lot of good memories, it's nice to see that balance and you don't always have to be right. I think that's beautiful. Do I agree with the monarchy and the queen? Uh, no. Do I like seeing Johnny Rotten post in memory of the queen when she was, <laughs> when she was kind of the crux of their arguments in the, in the queen Thatcher age, you know? No, I mean, that doesn't make sense. But if other people, and especially as I enter the UK, if people are mourning this in a way and have their perspective of the good things that they are missing of this person, it is not polite or mature to jump right into being like, but you know, she's a colonizer. Give people a second. Of course, it's all true. I'm not saying we celebrate people's bad deeds and be like, yeah, she was awesome. She did colonize your nation, but their memory of the queen is not of her just like landing on foreign lands and going like, we'll have tea where we want and we'll step on your children. No, it's, it's her sitting at the, at the agricultural fair going, look cows. I see cows. And being excited and knighting people and hanging out with Elton John, you know? What song is Elton John going to repurpose for the Queen? I remember when Britain was young and the money had a live person on it. Crocodile Rock would be lit. I saw somebody tweet about that. Either way, the Queen is dead. Long live the Queen. She's still a human being. We're all idiots, even myself. I wake up every day and I uh, try to achieve that where you go, not not that we're assuming everyone's going to be an idiot, but we're all idiots in some ways. And look, she lived in a castle. She's had a rough life. We don't know what happened with Diana. We never will. You know, Martin Bashir might know, but we don't know. So let your British friends mourn. I'm going to the UK. I am going to win a chocolate factory and figure out the kind of tax ramifications that this is going to have on me. And I am going to make sure that the Oompa Loompas are not required to sleep on factory grounds like this is right after we passed child labor laws and we're like, how do we keep people working? Now we're going to let the Oompa Loompas do what they want. They're going to be a, a strong part of British society. They're going to vote. They're definitely not voting for Willy Wonka. <laughs> he can't run anymore. 
So we'll see what happens. But this is, uh, I've been thinking a lot about the UK. <laughs> Clearly, I just got it out. But having that moment with my mother to have a day, going to Target with my mom is very fun. It's a very peaceful thing because she'll talk me out of stuff I don't need at Target. There's no one else that I can go to Target with that goes, I, you don't need that. And that's there's a magic to that. There's almost like, oh, well, I'm better than Target. I don't need all this. Versus, can I get another cart? Cause I got to fill this thing up with target goods. She was wonderful. I'm glad we could share that together, but it really, it happened while she was there. And I was just like, this is, I had a lot of coinkadinks this week, Peter. And we talked about one before we got there. Now, Friday, obviously I said, I didn't get to go to Winnipeg. Very sad. It looked like the show was sick. Josh Alexander definitely thinks I'm ducking him now. Cause there's been like at least two occasions where I was supposed to fight this guy in some capacity and it didn't work out. Not by my fault, but he's definitely looking going like, See that scared of me? Yeah, I am. I was going to face it. I was going to deal with it. But look at you, dude. You're like a monster machine of wrestling from the Monster Mafia. Uh, Ethan Page doesn't scare me. He's a very cool guy. I got to see him this weekend. Josh Alexander, his former tag partner, current Impact World Champion. That guy scares me. It's not why I didn't go. But I hit up Eric Cannon. I said, Eric Cannon, I don't know what I'm going to do to get to the Mall of America for this historic uh, the return of wrestling to the Mall of America after 27 years. And the only other show that has ever happened there was the debut of the Monday night, Monday night Nitro, which was running against uh, WWE Raw. They did their very first show inside the Mall of America for TV. And Lex Luger showed up in a puffy shirt, and he was also on Raw because they were still filming it at that time. It wasn't live. So there was this really crazy moment in wrestling that like kind of defined the next 10 years. Wait, Lex Luger's a wrestler? Yeah, so Lex Luthor is fighting Superman, and he's a crazy guy. But Lex Luger is a wrestler okay. who, who he slammed uh, Yokozuna on top of an American Freedom Military plane carrier boat on the 4th of July after riding the Lex Express bus to the boat. He slammed him. He saved America. He's one of the most jacked guys of all time. I got to do a show with him last year. He's now confined to a wheelchair. He's very jovial. He has a deep spirit and faith for Jesus Christ in his heart. He has been nothing but wonderful to be around. But to see him still have strength when he doesn't have the giant muscles and the crazy backbreaker or the Mall of America puffy shirt, for him to still show up to these events that are so physically based in a wheelchair and still being jovial to meet the fans and excited to see people, it's kind of magical. Lex Luger was a big deal back in the day. And he never got the kind of overness that Hogan did. And he never had quite the the sparkle of like a Hogan or a, you know, a bigger star, like a rock, but he was a main event guy and he slammed Yokozuna on top of that boat to help America. So this, this moment here where Effie enters the mall of America, it's a big moment in wrestling history before. And now it's a big moment in wrestling history. Again, four stories, the center of the mall. Now, have you ever been to the mall of America? I've not real I'm quick. Like, I want to interject. With yeah, please. Though. So I had a lift passenger yesterday. Okay. And they're not originally from the States. They're from India. And, but like came over when they were a kid, had to do the whole um, like becoming a citizen thing. And they happen to live like somewhere in Virginia. Okay. And the way that they do the becoming a citizen thing there is they literally take all the people who are becoming a citizen to Thomas Jefferson's house. And they go outside and do like this whole ceremony and everything. Now, Thomas Jefferson was kind of, he was into some troubling things. He was. He was also an, an occultist and an astrologer and like all kinds of other He shit. also has that version of the Bible that I actually really enjoy where he takes out all the mysticism. Yeah, exactly. He leaves basically like, here's how you be a good person. There's no mystical aspects to this book anymore. 
But I don't know. Sometimes when you just read the laws there without the mysticism, it's kind of unexcusable. But we'll, you know, yeah. back to this. Okay. So all the, you know, they had all these judges come and they're all very old and they're all wearing black. And apparently a couple of them started blacking out when they got up there. And they're just like, oh, you're a citizen. We're good. Everyone leave. <laughs> there was some dark magic in those hills. Taking, taking things away. Don't show up in your robes on these ancient lands. Oh, and it was on the 4th of July. That's why I thought of that to begin with. Wow. Yeah, the 4th of July. It's, uh, I think we have to learn more about that. I saw a picture yesterday of Plymouth Rock looking just the, sad, just the saddest rock you've ever seen in a fence. And I think when we, when we learn about American history in our schools, we often don't get the best version of it. And by the best version, I mean the real version. So... Uh, I think when we look back on what some of our founding fathers did and some of the traditions that we've built, maybe we shouldn't require new citizens to learn that shit. Maybe we should leave that in the past. I don't know. Could be okay. I guess they can learn some of it. They learned a lesson definitely on that 4th of July, which was <laughs> it's pretty hot in a robe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hit up Eric Cannon to do this show, and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get there because me, being Effie, sometimes I like to make sure – I am providing the best business efficient way to have Effie at your show. And sometimes my mom said to me, she goes, you're not wrestling in South Georgia for 50 bucks anymore. And I was like, even my mom understands this. Sometimes I forget I'm Effie. Like I'm so good at figuring out the cheapest way to do something. And, and I feel very like a business pride in being able to do that. That sometimes I'm like, well, if I can't do it the cheapest way, it's not possible. Eric Cannon, that man said, I got you, bro. And he got me a flight right away. And we worked it out. And I was able to wake up Saturday morning and go to the airport and go to the next show, even though I had already had these issues. And I was like, okay, so sometimes you just got to ask for a little help. And Eric Cannon at the Mall of America is going to give a little help. But I got on this plane, Peter, and that's where I said, oh, we're back on track. Now, there have been a lot of things pointing to me being back on track, like the fact that I would arrive at the airport at uh, 5.55. And then I looked at when our time was over in uh, Minnesota an hour later and it was 5.55. I just kept looking at the clocks. I'm going, I think we're okay. But I get on this plane and you know, first thing in the morning plane, usually I've got my headphones in, Peter, and we've got noise canceling going. Couldn't find my headphones. And I was like, maybe this is a sign that I just need silence and sleep on this flight. But I don't think I would have noticed it if I was walking with headphones on. Uh, famed dubstep DJ, 12th Planet, who I have seen in concert at Bonnaroo, I'm pretty sure at Ultrafest, and on a tour with Skrillex in Atlanta one time where uh, God bless William Goodman. William Goodman now writes for a few magazines, including like complex and Vogue and GQ. Where did Maybe you not see Vogue. Skrillex? I saw Skrillex at this weird building here in 2011 uh, on the, the mothership tour. Oh yeah. It was the quad. Were we were there? at that show. No, we were at that show. Yeah. I threw up three times at that show. That was that show. No, I graduated from advertising school and that was my big, we were out. in the same we room, the Peter. Same show, yeah. Well, God bless. Incredible. What a night. I was. This is before. That, that's I got like off one the of those booze. nights I will always remember. Well, I will always remember most of it. <laughs> but Four Loco still had caffeine in it yes. at the time, Peter. So I remember. And this is like we're far removed from this, so I don't feel that. But like this is over ten years ago. I was blackout drunk and on ecstasy at this show, and definitely I was going on too hard. Too. I wonder if we saw each other. I like there were a few times I had to run into a bathroom because four loco is not good for you. Uh, but I remember just being like lost in the music. And then at the end, I was like, I'm on drugs. I, I, uh, I'm not getting out of this place. We got to go back to Columbia. And God bless William Goodman came with us and he was sober and he took us home. 
and it was mysterious. And he is now a, uh, in my heart, an award-winning journalist. One of my good friends from high school on, college on, uh, and one of the most fashionable people I know, but he saved my life that night. But we were both there with 12th Planet. Here's where it's even weirder, Peter. He recognized me. He said, what's up? He tweeted about it. We've actually seen each other before at GCW shows. I didn't know it was 12th Planet. Crazy. I just thought it was a cool guy who I was meeting. Uh, we share the exact same birthday, Peter. June 7th. Also shared by the Minneapolis legend himself, Prince, where we were headed to Minneapolis. So I'm going, now hold on. This is too much of a trifecta. I think we're back okay on the on the path. I think we're in the right place. He hit me up later. We talked a little bit, but I was like, yeah, I was at that show with Skrillex in 2011 Amazing. with Peter at the show at the Mothership Tour. My God, dude. What a weird time. Uh, same with like Jimmy Lloyd when I went to PWG in 2015. I've looked back at footage now and seen me and Jimmy Lloyd in the same room. And he's very casual. I was like, Jimmy Lloyd, were you at PWG Bowl of 2015? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I saw footage of us together. He's like, probably so. I was there. And I'm like, you're too casual about this, Jimmy, that we've been alongside each other for longer than we've known. Well, I get to Minneapolis and I'm there pretty early. And typically as an indie wrestler, I'm like, better just wait around, do something. And that can be more exhausting than you think. Like when you have woken up at four in the morning to get to a flight at 6 a.m. that you're now landing and it's 8.30 in Minneapolis. So you're just like... I guess I can go do stuff. But by the time the show hits eight and nine, eight, nine, you know, o'clock at night, you've been up a long time and you haven't napped. No way. I went in, I checked into the Radisson blue, which is attached to the mall of America. And I took myself a fucking nap, Peter. Now, one thing I noticed checking into the Radisson blue attached to the mall of America, there are a lot of older couples who use this as like a vacation. And I was thinking, I was like, this is weird. But then you go in the Mall of America and you realize this isn't weird at all. They have everything here. Fine dining, massages, tattoo parlors, five Claire's. Tattoo parlors? Oh, yeah. Tattoo parlors. <laughs> five Claire's. Body piercing, five <laughs> Claire's. Do you know how hard it was everyone. for me to not get my ears pierced by the time I was seeing the fourth and fifth Claire's going? Have you never had uh, your ears pierced? I have. Now, I had them pierced when I was 18 years old. And I realized then, I wasn't as comfortable with my sexuality then. Peter, I have really pretty eyes and very long eyelashes. And when I have little diamonds in my ears, let's just say one time my Aunt Colleen said, you're just becoming such a pretty young lady. And, he, and she wasn't <laughs> wrong. She, I'm very comfortable in my gender. I, I'm very comfortable in my sexuality now. But I did have those little earrings in. And I went with big old stud diamonds. And I was like... Fem queen realness come through. I look gorgeous. My eyes are sparkling. I have to be careful. I had nose rings for a while, which I thought was okay. Uh, but I think it's time to re-pierce my ears. I see everybody doing it. I'm not doing it to be weird. I'm doing it because I want to put cute things in my ears. I want to accessorize them. And they're only getting bigger over time. I remember thinking my grandpa, oh, what big ears he had. I can't wait. I want to have giant. The bigger my ears get, and the more piercings I want. I want to be 85 with just like... I'm going on tour with Liz Fair kind of earrings down the side, you know? Like it's, uh, what's the big festival all the women play? Indigo Moon or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. I want to look like I'm on tour on, on Lilith Fair. That's what it is. Yeah. I said that earlier today. I thought it was a person for a second. I'm going to keep piercing them as they get bigger, but I've got to go ahead and get the start. I didn't do it again. I didn't do it because I ran into some friends in there and we rode the log flume. Now, the Mall of America is four stories. It is a giant square. 
It goes all around. But the surrounding center is an amusement park. We've talked about this before, and I was too nervous to ride the rides. I didn't want to do it alone. And we didn't talk deeply about the Mall of America. Now, if you've subscribed to the Patreon, patreon.com slash weekend at Effie's, I just put up a Mall of America video that I think is incredible. And I was yelled at on the log flume ride because they kept pulling my phone out, and they could see you do that. Here's what I want to say. The Mall of America now follows me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And they were tweeting about me and Instagramming about me. I don't want to say a negative thing about the Mall of America. They were wonderful. In 1998, a child died on the log flume. I had to ride it. (laughs) I had to do it. When I was a kid, the Mall of America was this legendary place that missionary kids who would come over to the States, they would go to... And a friend of mine told me about there's like a UFO where they like sticky to the side because it moves so fast. Oh, yeah. And apparently it's now someone a Teenage threw Mutant Ninja up. Turtles ride. Oh, God. That's crazy. <laughs> apparently someone threw up in there and it was just spinning, spinning like around. A, like a wash cycle. Yeah, there's a lot of rides and there's a lot of them that I go, I don't think that's for me. But the log flume, it's a 30-year-old log flume inside of a mall. Flume? Flume. Are you not familiar with this word, no. log flume? I feel like that's what I've always called it is the log flume because you're kind of fluming through on a log. Okay. Like the electronica artist flume. Yeah. I always assumed it was built around the log flume. I, what I, would you call this ride? I guess a log float. Log float. Okay. Well, I'm going to call it a log flume. I like log flume. Because you flume by the Smarrows and wave at everyone in line for pizza. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you see this log flume, <laughs> this log flume, now you're making me second guess. <laughs> I've never had anyone question the word flume when it was attached to log. And now I'm second guessing everything. You only see parts of the log flume as you're kind of looking at it in the mall. But once you get on this ride, it is expansive. And it used to be known as Paul Bunyan's log flume. Here's why. There's a Lucy's in the back. Lucy is having noisy fun. today. It's okay. Lucy's fine. People don't mind hearing Lucy in the background. Paul Bunyan and a giant bull are both there. And they're 40 feet tall inside of the log flume. And I thought this was going to be like, it's a mall log flume. That's the gimmick. Like you're in a mall on a log flume. Now, dude, this thing is sick. We're talking double drops. We're talking animatronics. We're talking Southern songs built on stereotypes. Everything you'd want, minus Mickey Mouse robbing the shit out of you a thousand dollars a day at Disney yeah. World. I paid eight dollars and I rode that fucking log flume. And I had a blast. We had a bunch of people there from the first crew, uh, including John Maddening uh, and uh, some others. Uh, and Eric from Time Bomb Pro was there as well. And that was very magical because when you get to see promoters just be humans at other shows, it's nice. And we rode that log flume together and we both looked scared as fuck in the pictures. I don't know if I included the picture. I think I'm going to put that one on my Patreon. I yes, did the please. illegal poor thing of take the picture of the picture yeah. before they yell at you. Yeah. Now, we got out of the log flume, and who did I see? Now, we're going to get into something here before we go deeper. I saw another child's television cartoon legend besides myself, okay? It was Blue from Blue's Clues. And part of me goes, you're a grown man. You don't need to take a picture of Blue from Blue's Clues. But then part of me goes, Blue's Clues came out when you were six years old. It was integral to you being curious and skeptical about the world and finding out what's going on. Plus, I want to do a Blue's Clues match, Peter. Uh, in wrestling, if you have a ladder match, you have to climb the ladder to get to the belt. But I think in a Blue's Clues match, there would be various clues all over the building that you would then have to put together to find out where the belt actually is and then get to the belt. So I think a Blue's Clues match is possible. We got a group photo with Blue. That is on my Instagram. I look tough as fuck. I look 
uh, very proud of what I've accomplished. And I knew that the very next day I was going to be under announcement. Uh, and we'll probably get into it deeper, I guess. But it's official now. Spe- extra official. We kind of were official last week, I think. But this was the immediate official. I will be on season two of Dead in Paranormal Park as Asmodeus, who is a lust demon, Peter. And I've been uh, familiar with many lust demons. This one, the most fun. Because this lust demon has a secret. And you guys can find out. And you can learn. But this is not going to be a minor. I show up just for the little montage. I'm deeply involved. We're going down to Dead in Paranormal Park. And we're going to have ourselves a time. There's demon faces everywhere. Wait, this is a... I'm doing South Park now. God dang it. I got to remember, though, I am a TVY7 children's star. And I want to say this. After I rode the log flume, I said, let me go get ready. Dark Sheik showed up. Devon Monroe showed up. We had a nice little uh, adult jazz moment. And then we got down to the locker room under the mall. And I had many people come up to me and ask me a question, Peter. And that question was, Effie, is it even possible for you to be family friendly tonight? And this question, Peter, it offends me greatly. Because I don't think I'm ever not family friendly. I just think you have trouble explaining things to your shitty little family. But the mall had been so nice to invite us there. Can Effie stand for family friendly somehow? Well, I explained to them what Effie stands for. A lot of people know Effie to stand for electric, fantastic, fuck you, which it always will. But it also stands for this. Entertaining for families? Yeah. (laughs) And so after the fifth person of interest, including AEW talent and uh, people running the show and Mall of America people, asked me if I could work... Uh, a safe, family-friendly type match. I said, baby, Effie works clean. I can easily work clean. I used to sell a shirt, Peter, and it said Effie works clean, and it had me cleaning the Wienermobile, squatting down with my big, thick ass poking out. Now, my ass was not family-friendly at the mall, okay? My ass was thick. I saw it on the Titan Tron. I kept getting distracted in my match because I would look up, and I would see my big, juicy grambles, my big hams, just poking out for four stories of fanatic mall friends that were there to see some wrestling. I kept going, I'm sorry, y'all. This is distracting to me. This is not family friendly. But every bit of my act was family friendly. And I was capable of creating something that the children could do. And luckily enough, I got to do it with someone who I was not family friendly with before. Long ago, my first singles match for GCW was against someone that a lot of wrestling fans will know. And he's uh, someone that a lot of wrestling fans have strong opinions on. And that is one, Orange Cassidy. Now, our first match, I cut one of my favorite promos, Peter, where I chugged a quart of orange juice with a straw in it like I was shotgunning it, like I used to shotgun Budweiser's, and uh, stuck my hand down my pants, chugged the whole bottle, threw it to the theme song, burped, and said, I want the real thing. I want freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy. That's what I want. It's a one-sentence promo. It's incredible. It's somewhere on Twitter. I don't give a shit. Go find it. I can't live in the past. But our match was not family-friendly, and it ended with me asking him on a date, and we left together hand-in-hand after a big moment of kissing and silliness and hands in each other's pockets. God, what a time. I didn't know it was ahead of me. I was just a a wide-eyed young man. I also remember that day telling Orange Cassidy, I said, oh, yeah, I did this many on the pre-order of my shirt. And he said, that's not normal. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you don't do that many pre-orders on the indies. And I started kind of reflecting after having this conversation with someone like Orange Cassidy, who was that over and going, maybe I'm doing something special. Let me remind you all, 
I can confirm I'm doing something fucking special. It's magic. We had that match, and have we ever told the the Nick Gage story about the Clona Willy on no. the show? All right, I'm going to tell this story. Um, I feel like maybe we brought this up, where I made a mold of my own cock. No. Okay, so when I first started dating my partner long distance, we did things that, you know, to spice things up. We weren't seeing each other all the time. This was early in our relationship. So I made a replica of my dick, Peter. This is going to get pretty, if you're the if the kids are listening, this is not family friendly anymore. You got to fast forward about two and a half minutes. So I make a mold of my cock with a vibrator in it. And it's, I mean, down to the vein, my dick, which is harder to do than you think to keep, to keep it up while you're sticking it in the putty. And then you got to pour the mold. It's a thing. It's a whole thing. But I made this, and the question came up in the backstage locker room amongst me and a few people who I knew at that time at this Tennessee show where I first fought Orange Cassidy about, in my gay life, what my preferences were sexually. And when you're talking with people who are your close friends and they are asking you, and this is a consensual conversation, it's okay to bring up. But some people were wandering into the room as I was discussing this. And I said about the clone of Willie, you know, the only time I have ever uh, been a receiver and uh, finished uh, the task was when I used my own cock to fuck myself. And I then kind of paused. And at this moment, Orange Cassidy and Nick Gage were in the room. And I kind of paused and I looked around and I said, well, I like I've said it, so I can't take it back. And I go, do y'all think that makes me a narcissist? Now in this moment, Nick Gage did not react. Okay. We don't know each other. And then I'm announced for a title match with this man and he doesn't really know me. And he's telling me we're doing ultra violence. We're doing glass. You better fucking step up. And I'm going, here we go, baby. And he pulls me aside and he goes, Effie, was that fucking joke you told in Tennessee? My eyes light up. He goes, that shit about, are you a fucking narcissist? And it's not clicking for me yet. He goes, I told Sanj. And Sanj, if you know, is Nick Cage's wife. She's lovely. They have the cutest dogs I've ever seen. Peanut and sugar. Oh, my God. They're just little baby toy poodles. Oh, he's like, you got to be my dogs, F. Peanut and sugar. And you're like, these are the least Nick Cage dogs I've ever seen. But he's presenting them as the toughest dogs I've ever seen. He said, Man, that story where you said you could only come from your own dick and are you a narcissist? I told that shit to Sanj and she cracked up and I'm going, oh my God, this thing I've been nervous about, this worry of my sexuality being too in the open while discussing my Mulder Willie with Nick Gage in the room. Turns out it was so funny to him that he repeated it to his wife. He repeated it. Well, okay. Back to the task at hand. Orange Jesus Cassidy. Christ. Orange Cassidy and Effie meet again. <laughs> Family friendly. And I said, well, this is easy. I want to hold your hand. You know, Paul McCartney said that long ago. I want to hold your hand. It's the simplest way for the Beatles to get past the censors and the parents going, I think they're making my kids horny. And they're going, we're not making your children horny. We just want to hold your hand. And I think this is fitting because I'm going to Liverpool. My first two matches are in Liverpool where the Beatles uh, first, well, I don't want to say the first thing they did, but they formed a band soon after that. But uh, hold my hand. I wanted to hold his hand. Now hold my hand. This is a fun synchronicity for our mini-sode that'll be going up on the Patreon because the very first Robert Zemeckis movie was a Beatles movie called wow. I Want to Hold Your Hand. We are going to talk about Robert Zemeckis and a lot of other things too, including I believe the rehearsal in yes. full on the mini-sode, which is available to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Weekend at Effies. Uh, but we are going to discuss Pinocchio because 
Uh, I thought maybe it would help me understand Tom Hanks as a real person. He's not. He's fucking not. Go watch The Terminal. That's not That's not the same guy from Big. Go fuck yourself. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of people trying to gaslight me into thinking this is Tom Hanks. Get out of my life. I'm Geppetto. You would think someone named Geppetto would not be allowed to be around children. <laughs> well, he can have wooden children. He's a stiff little wooden boy. Geppetto, you're coming with us. You're done. <laughs> you're out of here. He's not even the most concerning thing. Okay. I can't talk more about that. We're saving that for the okay. episode. I want to um, hold your hand. I want to hold your hand. And some people will know, hold my hand, big Hootie and the Blowfish song. I worked for Hootie for a while. This is all coming full circle. I'm going to Liverpool. I'm seeing the Beatles. I work for Hootie. Orange Cassidy, will you hold my hand? Now his hands are in his pockets. Can't hold my hand. I knew from the moment that the four stories of the Mall of America started chanting, hold his hand. I said, we've called too much for this match. And we didn't call anything for this match. The match was so much fun. It is so exciting to work with someone like Orange Cassidy to watch all the old heads lose their mind over kind of both of our working styles for different reasons. But to truly understand that like Orange Cassidy is an old school wrestler. He takes heat. He sells. His ideas sometimes backfire on him. And when it's time to turn up, go watch the clip of him hitting me with that tornado DDT. I told him, I said, uh, I said, I want to see how fast you can get. Let me see how fast you can get Orange Cassidy. Go watch him speed up. He just hits those ropes as fast as he can. A lot of people, they may not know the whole history of Orange Cassidy, but I will say this. He was faster than any ant I've ever seen, and he was on fire. You're looking at me confused. There's a lot of people who just got real excited that I even mentioned it like that. Orange Cassidy was victorious with the Superman punch. Orange Cassidy, a big fan of uh, Fast and Furious and Roman Reigns, which I love. I think he should be cast in a new Fast and Furious movie. Can you imagine like The Rock and Vin Diesel and Roman Reigns show up and he's the cool gadget guy who's just like, no, you just click it, it explodes. He's got his hands in his pockets. I think they're missing out by not casting Orange Cassidy in Fast and Furious. You know, I've never seen one of those movies. What? And so I'm trying to decide, do I go backwards? Do I start from the beginning? Like, how do I watch Fast and Furious in 2022? Here's what you do. You watch the very first one because it's a remake of Point Break done with cars. And Paul Walker is incredible. The first movie is like a super incredible, it's like positive masculinity, the movie. The second movie, you're like, they're losing their minds. The third movie, nothing to do with anything. Except for later, there's some plot points that come back. And it also features Bow Wow. The fourth one is where they start. you start going, this might not be about racing really anymore. The fifth one, you go, they've lost their fucking minds. Fast 6, most people think is pretty good, but it's not the best. Fast 7, you're like, holy fuck. Fast 8, you're like, they've lost their fucking minds. Fast 9, fully out of their fucking brains. And now they're going to have Fast 10, your seatbelts, coming out eventually. And I'm very excited for that. Is that what it's that. called? No, but it should be. They really fucked up. Fasting your seatbelts should be the fucking tagline of everything they do for that film. Fasten your seatbelts? Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Either way, Book Orange Cassidy, they go to space in one of the last ones. Tyrese goes to space with Ludacris, I think, in the car. It's They're phenomenal. Start from the Wait, beginning. Ludacris is in <laughs> Oh, Ludacris is in almost okay. all Fast and Furious movies and is one of the funniest characters of all the films because Tyrese plays like kind of like... He's funny, but it's because he's like, I don't want to do this. And they're like, you have to. And he's like, I did it. But Ludacris is funny because he's like kind of their tech guy who's like, are you out of your mind? Like, that's not going to work. And then he finds a way to make it work. And he's always like kind of one step ahead of everyone. Ludacris Chris Bridges showed himself in Fast and Furious as a premier comedic and dramatic actor. Because there's some crazy moments where you're like, we were just having fun. And there was a car chase. And now like he's got a gun to his head. 
Fast and Furious is America the movies. Amazing. Yeah. And then The Rock shows up later in the game. Jason Statham. Helen Mirren. Dame Helen Mirren. Shut up. Fuck off, dude. Dame <laughs> Helen Mirren rules in Fast and Furious movies. Uh, did you know that Vin Diesel was cast in Reindeer Games, which is not a good movie? Yeah, but, but he was he was uh, just like like a a thug essentially in the background. Okay, and the director told him to take his shirt off, and he said, "I only take my shirt off for Vin Diesel movies." Oh my god! <laughs> and he got fired off of that, and then goes and does Pitch Black, which I, I don't think he's wearing a shirt for most of. That. No, he's not. And also, like people, I think people categorize Vin Diesel in this way, where yeah, like he's gonna do the family line, and he's gonna do cars, and he's gonna like mumble a little bit, and he has to stand on an apple box next to the rock because he's not that tall. But okay, when the Rock was still trying to get over, when the Rock was still trying to get out of wrestling and into Hollywood, Vin Diesel was funding his own films because he loved them. And Vin Diesel was doing movies like, uh, what was his Vampire Hunter movie that was sick? He funded his own Vampire Hunter movie that's sick. I can't remember the name of it right now. It's like pretty cool. It could be better, but you're also like, Vin Diesel did all this on his own. So uh, it, was a vam- it was a Vin Diesel Vampire Yeah, and it's, I think movie? it's based on a graphic novel series that he was very passionate about. And so he kind of went through and funded it on his own to get it done and make it. I think he did that with the third Pitch Black movie as well. Uh, and then... What's it called? He, well, the, okay, the last witch hunter. The is last what, witch hunter. The, the Riddick thing's really funny is because he showed up to a studio meeting with three leather bound volumes that was like the one, two, three of Riddick. And he said, you have to buy them before you can read them. And they're like, get the fuck out of here. And still Holy no one's shit. read them. So he just has them? Yeah. How many, there's just no other copies of this thing? Or he, this is his golden tablets believe, in Missouri. I would seriously believe that he is keeping them under lock and key. Yeah. I mean, what if these are like the great texts of old that we need to understand our history and past and our shared meta universe and the theory that space is so long and expansive just to create a barrier that we don't seem to think we can exit when in fact we are a part of a large scale global experiment. Welcome to the Sim 6, right? All right. We're too deep now. When he went to go do Groot, he showed up the first day wearing stilts because he wanted to get into the mind of what it would be like to be a tall tree. And he recorded his voiceover on stilts. <laughs> like, literally, they had to raise <laughs> the microphone up. I also... Okay, so... We're going to talk about, so he's on stilts to record Groot. We're still talking about Vin Diesel here. I had to run to the bathroom. Uh, This is my favorite because there's two types of bands, okay? There's the band that copy-paste the chorus they recorded that's perfect, and then there's the band that records every part of it authentically. So it's not just like, repeat the second chorus. Vin Diesel, to do the Groot role, to not only put on stilts, but to then say the phrase, I am Groot, more than once, when he realistically could have walked in and gone, I am Groot. And with all the technology, they could have done anything they wanted with that. They really didn't even need him there. He recorded every I Am Groot. He does all the international ones, too. Je suis Groot. Je suis Groot. Ah! I'm obsessed. Vin Diesel, we love you so much. We, are ne- we will never shit talk Vin Diesel. And honestly, I know I'm a pro wrestler. Vin Diesel was probably right in any of his feud with The Rock. Okay? The Rock's full of himself and speaks in third person. 
and he's the reason I'm going to have to run for president. I keep hearing more and more of this of he's going to run as a Republican. Like, a, like you were the first person that told me that. It didn't click in a yeah, place. But he's a- yeah. Let me just tell you a secret. You don't eat that many pancakes without trying to further capitalism. Star of stage and screen, The Rock. Sorry. That's just how things go. I can tell. I feel it in my soul. All right. So the Mall of America, beyond just being a historic wrestling venue, it also used to host Hulk Hogan's pasta restaurant. What? (laughs) Called Pasta Mania. But it is not there anymore. And thank God, because you know it is there now. Not in the same Pasta Mania spot, but in a spot there is this place called Waffles and Dingus. Now, apparently, Dingus is like just the toppings. But I love saying dingus waffles and dingus now they have a waffle there called the beat bobby flay throwdown waffle where they went on the bobby flay show and they beat him at making belgian waffles with this topping but i added bacon so this is a belgian waffle with candied bacon nutella spread cookie crumbles fresh whipped cream and cocoa on top and i ate the whole thing it's the best food i've ever eaten I'll eat waffles and dingus all day and adding the candied bacon, giving it that extra salty, crunchy, sweet. It was marvelous. I need you to imagine me walking through the mall with this plated fucking waffle, trying to get back to the Radisson room before I spill this thing, but still stopping for pictures with fans. Someone even tweeted, like, I just saw Effie going through the Mall of America with a waffle. And I was like, I know, like I'm trying my hardest here to get through it. Uh, but you are sort of also like seeing the the backstage of this this mall and it's even bigger than you thought it's so massive i urge people if they've never seen it to go back and watch the original nitro that took place in the mall and then kind of compare it to this vision because it's like we're literally 27 years removed and there's a ring in the exact same place there was and instead of lex luger we have darren corbin now we flew out very early and this is where i start becoming hollywood effie i said after last the brunch last week i said i'm hollywood effie now and it hasn't fully formed but it's coming and I know it's there and I'm letting it happen to where there are these moments that I would have, I would have probably used to like, go like, I think you're being a little diva or like, this is too much. Now Hollywood Effie handles everything and Hollywood Effie. Sometimes he's not nice. Sometimes he is nice. Sometimes he's very nice. Sometimes he's not. And he disappears and he doesn't have time for your stuff. If you ask me to do an interview, I go, no, that's Hollywood Effie. Well, Hollywood Effie had to land do an interview for his new Netflix part on this cartoon that was revealing character footage that no one had ever seen before of this new character that I'm portraying and then drive to Florida. And so not only was I late, the flight was delayed an hour. I land. I was like, I have to go do this interview. I figured the fastest way to get home was the Marta. Typically it is. I landed. I didn't even check a bag, Peter. And I like checking bags. Everybody's like, don't check your gear bag. You might lose it. And I go, well, I don't want to fucking carry it through an airport either. So if they lose it, looks like I'm wrestling in slides tonight because I'll still go to the ring. I grab my bag. I get on the Marta. It's already a little delayed. I'm like, God, Sunday schedule is already a little slower. And I yeah, forgot. you have to murder someone in order for the Marta to work. Correctly. Well, turns out we get up about five stops. There's a huge fight that breaks out, okay? Now, I'm not going to be dismissive of the police all the time here, but the MARTA conductor had to stop the fight and then throw the guy off, and then he snuck back on on another cart. So then we had to stop again, and he had to do the same thing. And I was like, how are you conducting a train and your security? This is like when I complain about being front of house and back of house. You're the conductor. You're supposed to wave and go like, next stop, going to the city. 
No, you're having to kick people off this train. They're fighting. They're screaming. It's crazy. I'm late to this interview. I'm messaging Hamish, who's over in the UK on UK time in this live Twitch chat. And I'm going, her coming soon. And I get there and I run upstairs. AJ picked me up at the station. I get on, I do the interview and we're talking over 120,000 people watch this thing on Twitch. Wow. So it was like, it was not like, oh, like a few people saw it. We're having fun. This is for gaming magazine with a Y, the premier, uh, digital game for homosexuals publication, I think. And so all these people are watching it. I'm at the end of this interview and they're still talking. And I go, Hey guys, I'm going to get out of here. I have to go to Florida to wrestle because <laughs> that's what I do. And it's like sort of the reality of like, yeah, great. You're, you're in the cartoon now it's out in the public. You've been waiting, you know, a year and a half for this to be public knowledge. I need to go drive to Florida to have a championship match in Gainesville real quick, which I love. And it's kind of a beautiful circular moment because this is the six year anniversary of fest wrestling fest wrestling has been around for a very long time six years back 20 what was that 2016 was the first show oh god yeah so this is early in my time and i was sick of wrestling a little bit at this point kind of like nobody lets me do what i want nobody lets me be who i want and i got there and they're the ones who said go fucking do whatever you want i said let's go so i'm rushing down to fest wrestling and this is i'm just going to reveal the absurdity because we're past the moment I looked over at the person in the car with me, who was also my opponent for that night. These things happen sometimes. It's okay to fight your friends. Or Cassie said that to me the night before. He goes, it's okay to fight your friends. We're friends, but I'm going to fight you. We're going to fight. And today I was going to fight my friend again. It was AC Mack. And the whole time I'm going, is this a title match? Because he's the independent champion right now of IWTV. Independent world champion. has been defended all over. I said, is he, is he putting this belt up? tonight on the line and then i got word that some people couldn't make it there was some illness there were some people that weren't going to make the show we were now the main event so what did i do i called the president of iwtv and i demanded that a title match be made i said i fought in the mall of america i just ran the biggest lgbtq show of all time i survived the fucking war games i want my title shot and i want it today without any fanfare or notice and they said okay we'll agree we'll do it and so now at the place that gave me my first shot on the day that I'm out here doing interviews for Netflix and fighting in the Mall of America and fighting TV stars, I am there fighting for the World Heavyweight Championship of Independent Wrestling via IWTV on my home turf in a hardcore crazy fest match on the six-year anniversary of the first time I was announced on a show with Chuck Taylor. And I was like, this is crazy. And last night I fought his tag partner in the Mall of America. So it's kind of this beautiful circle. And I think also... Flying is great. I love flying. It is hard to be in a locker room and complain about a flight because there are a lot of people who are working towards being able to be flown places and, and having that privilege. Uh, so it's nice for me to get back in the car sometimes and drive six hours straight to Florida, beat up the person who rode down with me, and then drive straight back in more pain than I left. And you would think Effie's going to take it easy. I mean, you can look at my body right now. I'm covered in wounds, dude. War games still beat me up. Like my shoulder is still like poking out because there's definitely a piece of glass hidden in there. I pulled another piece of glass out of my neck the other night. I fought in the Mall of America. We went nuts, dude. And he beat the fuck out of me. I was in a lot of severe pain. I ripped my other knee pretty bad. Um, but worst of all, the final move he gave me, I hear a crunch in my nose. Now, at first I thought, oh, he broke my nose. Now I'm checking it. And it's a little loose, you know, a little loose. You can hear the clicking, but I heard the click. This is gross, Peter, but here's what I think actually happened. I think via all the times I have broken my nose, I can count four 
specifically. And it's been broken and broken and broken, like back and forth. And you can tell if you look really close, but I think he straightened my nose out a little bit. And here's where it gets even grosser. I think he popped a cyst that was in part of my nose. And I think that's what cracked because it cleared out. And now there's some swelling and it's wider, but there's part of my nose that actually went down in swelling and I can breathe a little better two days removed from this. I think cracking my face into a chair with the Mac 10, which is a pedigree that you hold the arm so that your face crushes straight down. I think he gave me a nose job. I think he fixed my nose. Not a dramatic nose job. I'm not trying to go get this thing cleaned up so I look like, you know, we're about to release a man in the mirror or whatever, you know, to reveal the new me. But I do think he popped something in there that helped. My nose was a little loosey-goosey, but now I'm kind of... I'm kind of excited about it. Maybe I'm entering, maybe Hollywood F, he needed a nose job, and now he got it right <laughs> off the bat. I'm not taking three weeks off. AC Mack got me in a title match. We're clear. We're good. Had a little blood. We were okay. I changed. We drove six hours straight home. And there's a delusion to driving that much. But to be back driving through South Georgia, where on August 13th, 2014, I made my debut driving around Florida and Georgia in the car, and now I'm doing 12 hours of driving for a 12-minute match or 20. Well, it ended up being a 20-minute match. We went long because I was like, it's a title match. It's the main event. Let's go. It's, it's good to know that I'm still walking and standing and me and fired up. And I think it was nice to have a, a, self, a self-emotional moment to be human again last week. But a few days removed from it, Peter, I'm not going to lie to you. I feel kind of... Back to Effie and back on top. And Good. I'm about to roll into the UK and fuck on them. I feel so confident in myself as a performer where a few years ago, even I would have thought, you know, oh, what kind of match am I going to have? How am I going to impress people? I got to, you know, this is a big chance. And now I'm going, it is a big chance for y'all to witness me live in the UK. It's a big chance for you to get to touch my skin and see me sweat and feel me and feel the breath and share the room. Not in an egotistical way, but I'm confident. I know what I'm doing. I've talked to enough people in America who say, I love it, that I think they're going to love it too. And then I'm going to go to Japan, and I'm going to be very respectful. I'm going to be honoring of all the cultures. I'm going to take my shoes off. I'm going to bow. I'm going to be very respectful. I'm also going to be electric, fantastic, and fuck you, because I'm going to Japan, and I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want once I'm in that wrestling ring. Uh, And I'm going to bleed like a little pig. I got custom Japan shirts made. I got custom UK shirts made. These are places I wasn't even planning on being able to bring that much merch. And I got all the pictures in the world because I heard that the Japanese fans love getting a nice side 8x10 and a picture with the star. I think the Japanese people are going to love me. I think the European people are going to love me. The UK, I wish it was staying longer in both places. But I know it's hard right now in the UK. There's a recession. Truss is worse than Boris Johnson somehow. The queen is gone. Charles' hands keep swelling up even more, so much so that he can't even get his rings off. I know it's tough, but Effie's coming. And we're going to have a good-ass time. And I better eat some fish. I better have some tea. And I'm not kidding. People think I'm fucking around. If I don't eat my fucking fill of black pudding while I'm there, not as a part of a breakfast. Nah, nah, nah. I want rolls and slices of blood pudding with oatmeal in it. And I want to taste the iron and I want to come back stronger than ever. I'm going to eat blood pudding and do push-ups in Europe and they're going to think I'm on steroids. I'm not, Peter. You know why I can't do steroids? Why? I can't say it out loud, but you can guess. It's very distracting to have to spend that much of your day being, well, I'm just going to say it. I get too horny on steroids, Peter. 
I'm distracted. I go to the gym. I get jacked. I'm pumped. I literally run out of time to do anything else. And I also, I'm already kind of a dick. Like, not like a dick, like be mean to people, but a dick like, you could eat that whole barbecue plate. And so then if I'm on steroids, it's like this. It's like, yeah, well, go fuck yourself if you can't eat the whole barbecue plate, you little piece of shit. What are you, a baby? So then I'm eating like 12,000 calories a day because I'm arguing with myself. I can't do it. I'm not going to be jacked like that. I'll be jacked because I go to the gym and I feel good about my fitness and because I eat blood sausage. But I can't do I can't do roids. Should we do some questions, Peter? Let's do some questions. Do you, are you doing any touristy stuff in uh, the UK while you're there? I don't know, Peter. I hope. I hope I do some touristy stuff. I'm going to see some things. Go see the torture museum. It's awesome. Torture. There will be torture. I do think the creator of Dead in Paranormal Park and Dead India is going to see the show Sunday, which is Excellent. crazy that we'll be united for the first time. I hope he. Uh, I hope he's ready to see me in full. Full Effie against the Brits. Tate Mayfairs. I'm going to whoop his little ass. Rawr. All right, this is a question that we didn't quite get to last week. If you want to ask a question, we're currently only doing Patreon questions because we had so many lately. Um, and thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting the Patreon. We are about to do the auction. I'm waiting for it to go up a little more. I think we're close to the number, and we're going to auction off a gold Effie Award to someone on there. And we just added the merch code, so 20% yes. off the Effie website. And you just did some readings on there that were phenomenal to help explain the universe to some people who are interested yeah we're in the middle of a really intense mercury retrograde i thought everything was going to be fine and then i got hit by it a bunch and tweeted some misinformation about the lion king friday night (laughs) the lion king deserves a little misinformation as we are entering a new sphere of just draining it of its milk milking a dead possum i think they call it i almost ran over a possum this weekend didn't do it didn't run it over AC Max said, watch out, there's a possum, and we missed the possum. Thank God. Possums eat ticks. They're very necessary to the environment yeah. here in the South. Uh, all right, this is from Aslan. What are some of the intricacies of booking a successful show? Is it with the booker, talent, both, neither? It's with all of it. And I think I have an inherent – I like to refer to it as efficiency, efficiency, but really there's a slight laziness to it to where – in my management style, I I would build my schedule around who's going to get the job done, right? Like that's very, it's not the best approach all the time, but it's a capitalistic approach. And so when I'm booking the show, I'm trying to make sure I put on the talent people want to see, I'm trying to make sure I put people in the position where they can succeed, building matches that will work for people. Building matches for people, I think, some people think you just throw two people in a match and that's the match. It's not how it works. You really have to compare characters, compare moments, see where people are at to put a match together. But... I also put people in the position where I think they will succeed. And that makes my job a lot easier when you go, I'm going to put these people together to do this job because they're good at it. And then they go, of course, and they do the job. A lot of the success of a show is like walking a tightrope. And I think that's a lot of life is walking a tightrope where it's not easy to walk a tightrope. You know what you have to do. There's a lot of steps you have to take. And it's very easy to fall off the tightrope. And it is even harder to get back on the tightrope. And so if you pick balancing steps that are going to make it easier to get across the tightrope. It's still a difficult task, but it's not as hard as doing it in Doc Martens or thinking you should you know, wear stilts to show up to be crude and make it harder for yourself. Can you lift the mic up? It's the first time he's had to say that. No offense, Vin Diesel. <laughs> he showed up in stilts just so he could say, can you lift the mic up? So he could say, I am Groot. Uh, I think it also, and this is Hollywood Effie coming out. Y'all are going to learn about him. 
I'm a Gemini, y'all. Hollywood Effie's been there all along. I'm going to let him out a little more publicly. You got to break people's fucking hearts. I don't have room for everyone on a show. I don't. It would not be a good show if I put everyone on it. And you have to get used to disappointing people a little bit and going, this is the show I'm going to do. I'm sorry you feel like you're not included this time. It doesn't mean you won't be included again. But this is the show. These are the people. I've picked 20 to 30 people. They're going to be on the show. And to hear the feedback that it was awesome and they loved this and they love seeing the new people and finding out about people. These are all the things I'm worried about before. So it's nice to get that feedback. It's not easy to run a show. I don't like doing it. I wish it didn't have my name on it at some points. I love being a part of this kind of movement and seeing more gay shows pop up and more energy pop up. Thank God Killian McMurphy is going to be the gay president now. The new Pride and Vibe show in D.C. is his inauguration. So I'm taking a back seat. I'm going to I'm going to go be a Supreme Court justice instead and stay away from the presidency. But I'm going to keep doing shows, but I'm going to feel more comfortable as Hollywood Effie telling people no. Uh, especially some of them try to run the prices up on me. And I'm like, Effie don't even get that much money for a show. Calm down. I don't know who you are. Hollywood Effie will tell you. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> You've got three more years before you can become president. It's what 35, is it? isn't it? 35, I believe. Yeah. So yeah, three years, which would put us at right after The Rock kind of runs the first time. So we'll see where things are at. Uh, but I will. That's the only reason I'm going to run for president is if we have to get rid of The Rock. I like personally, we've never met Dwayne. I tried your energy drink last night. I'm back on Red Bull. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, I think black Adam's interesting. I think that's cool, but it's a very thinly veiled campaign to try to get yourself into the public eye as a moderate that people trust. And I'm fucking sick of it. That's not the way this country is going to go. And I know you'll cut a promo about how we don't need Medicare for all. And you'll try to convince us, but you're a scam artist and I won't allow it. Effie defeats a giant cock. You know by the time I'm 35, his transformation will be complete. Look at him in 97 and now, that's 20 years of becoming a human penis. Just veiny, throbbing, hairless, can barely form sentences. I still think the best movie he was ever in was Southland Tales, and he won't ever beat that. Like His acting in that is phenomenal, and he kind of... like. Took the coward's road and was like movie star instead of actual good actor. Yeah, when he jumped off that skyscraper, though, I was pretty impressed. What? In the film Skyscraper, when he jumped <laughs> off the skyscraper. Yeah, I love it. <clears throat> okay, this is from Julie. Effie, I really love your impressions. Your Elvis is especially great. Will your talent for imitation possibly play more into more voice work beyond Paranormal Park? Is VO work something you found you enjoy? I think Funches should get you the hookup for Harley Quinn. I think you do a great job with Midnighter. That would be lit. That would be crazy. I would love to do more voice acting. I think the the confusing part for a lot of people that I discuss, kind of where I want my career to go and where I'm headed, is they want me to kind of you know pick paths when... In reality, I understand that the reason it's difficult for The Rock to go to wrestling matches now is the insurance policies on him to continue making movies are extremely high. But I think that this is something that I don't I don't necessarily need to be the main star in my voiceover work. I don't need to be the main star if I'm doing acting. I would like to continually be able to show up and have people be like, oh my God, that's Effie. Like Effie showed up in this. Or like, I can't believe that's Effie's voice. And I think even hearing the first clip of me as Asmodeus, it doesn't sound exactly like me. And it won't sound exactly like me because I'm doing a voice. And I think that's exciting to go. It'd be one thing if you show up, you know, like sometimes you're like, you go see a movie in the theaters like DC Super Pets. They want Kevin Hart to sound like Kevin Hart. They want right. The Rock to sound like The Rock because that's what sells. Like you're seeing The Rock as a dog Superman. 
versus I want not necessarily just to be a kind of a background character guy, but I think there are a lot of character actors and voice work like Mark Hamill specifically, who is able to transform his voice and transform how he acts so dramatically that uh, he can fit into all these different roles. And I think also with Dead in Paranormal Park, I don't know if they'll be credited, but I'm in some small roles as well. And I think y'all gonna find out that regular Jeff ain't just a person that lives in my brain. He might be out there in the real world too, baby. I've, I've often, like, I love singing. I They did a musical episode in the last season. I didn't do any singing for Dead in Paranormal Park. But I think that mimicry in sound, more than just like, I want to be a singer. I think I've always found fascination in just being able to mimic sounds in a way that is gratifying to me. Funch has actually convinced me to get my SAG card, speaking back to oh. it. Because I said to him, I said, I got this one part. I can't talk about it right now. I don't know when it's coming out. I don't know if it will come out. That happens a lot, Peter. Yeah. You do, you know, we it's talked animation. about that. It's animation. Stuff gets thrown. There's a lot of people who lost their jobs this year in animation. It's hard to go bragging about, I'm a big cartoon star now, when people are losing their jobs, especially the artists, because me talking and you actually creating a cartoon, one of those requires more skill. Yeah. I had to get to the level to where you needed my voice, but one of those, you should see the way they storyboard this show, and they plot it out in 3D and then shift it to 2D. So it's almost like the depth is real that you're seeing in this show. Oh, that's crazy. I want to do a ton more of it. I want to show up a bunch, but I will never leave wrestling and that will continue to confuse everyone. I will stand by wrestling as the highest form of acting. I've joked in interviews. I joked about the Netflix. I said, you know, Tom Cruise gets 50 takes and does his own stunts. Great. Okay. I get one take. We just wrote the script 20 minutes ago. We're about to perform it live. We may never perform the exact play again. There's something very addicting to that as a performer that I think Actors find those moments over time of like, we did this play for three months and I finally got in the groove of it. Uh, I did this show for five years and I really finally felt with that character. We have to be in that moment all the time and we are always ready to switch into full acting mode. And it's not something where we get two weeks to prepare for the role. I'm playing Effie in 20 minutes and we've got a match before us and it's time to go. I love all of this, but I hope it is still also a bigger way to kind of bring people back into wrestling. But I mean... Of course I want to do more voices, especially being in Atlanta. I didn't have to travel anywhere to do this recording. I was a mile from my house in Buckhead in a VO studio that you wouldn't even know was there. Having everyone zoom in from around the world to direct me and help me and give me the emotional explanations on where things are at. You're seeing just a small portion of things and you've got to be fully invested in these characters. It was challenging. It was awesome. It was magic. And uh, I was offered the part on the five-year Five five years off of me first pledging to a demon, so we'll get into that long term someday. But I might save some of that for the book. Do you have the date that you did that? Like, do you know that date? Uh, yeah. Okay, I wouldn't mind seeing what the chart looked like for that day. Yeah, it's uh, I believe it was May tenth, twenty sixteen. So uh, I mean, a little bit off of the five year, but I mean, right at it, mid April. I think it was April fifteenth, sixteenth. I was offered the part. April first, when I first uh, was told to audition for it i called netflix casting animation the head i said you got are you fucking with me like what i didn't say it like exactly like that but i was like did i actually audition or y'all just made up a part for me and gave it to me because i don't like to hear that i don't want to just be told i was given something like you auditioned against other actors you were the best you got the part i was like just got to make sure they're like they don't even ever talk to the performers they're always talking to the representatives and i was like i'm calling them direct (laughs) crazy they're not ready for it Okay, this question's from Jerry. 
Will we ever get that face to face with Nick Gage and Rome and Razor Ramon hard gay that was supposed to happen at Big Gay Brunch One Tampa? Yes. In the support of the Big Gay Brunches through the fifth one happening, we now kind of have an understanding that like we will have a little bit of a budget for the show. We will be able to do things. Luckily, you know, the COVID sanctions are lifting up a lot. There's a lot of chance for more people to come in from overseas. I want to have uh, Vini back. I want to have uh, Candy Lee in from New Zealand. I We just had, you know, the lovely uh, Jayla J come in from Australia, and that was magic to have on the Big Gay Brunch and have that international element to show that, like, yeah, gay wrestling's getting popular, but also globally gay wrestling is getting popular. And Nick Gage is healthier than ever. He's back in the gym all the time. He's got a big match, career versus title, against John Moxley. And John Moxley's the best wrestler in the world right now. I get it. I get it. But I don't think Nick Gage is going to give up his career. I don't think that's what's going to happen. And so I think Nick Gage will be around a while longer. I think we've got another run out of Nick Gage that's going to surprise people. And I think Razor Ramon Hardgate can be convinced with some Disneyland tickets to come have a little face-off with Nick Gage. So whether it happens at a Big Gay Brunch or an alternate show, you know, for Hollywood, I'm looking at kind of overdoing myself. You know, I'm feeling ready for it now. And I'm sure by then I'll be cooked and spent and tired, but I think we're going to do the big gay brunch, which to me is a daytime event. It's a big, exciting event. But I think in the spirit of one of my close friends who we lost, Marcus Crane, RIP, he was originally going to do that BDSM basement, no ring kink show. And I think that we have to bring some of that adult element back to pro wrestling. And I think if people are already going to think I'm filthy and disgusting all the time anyway, then let's be fucking filthy and disgusting. And maybe we get John Waters out there. I don't know. There's been some communication. It'd be expensive, but it'd be worth every goddamn penny. Someone said, would you make your money back on that? And I go, I don't give a fuck. It's John Waters. I don't need to make my money back on this. Are you serious? I mean, he is into filth. I wouldn't make him do much. But yeah, I've gotten some, there's been some fishing done. Oh, wow. I w- if if we work it out, I, I wouldn't bring it up John again. Waters. You're telling me. You're have telling you read his book? I have not read his book. Phenomenal. Do I need to pick it up on the way to yeah, England and just have yeah, that yeah, be yeah, my yeah. my ride? I love him. And I love the filth and I love the ownership of filth. Fuck you if you don't like me, but I am a children's television star now, so there's nothing you can do about it. Effie works clean. Oh, I'm going to grab my wiener and get a kiss from the world champ, and then I'm going to entertain the children, and you can't stop me. Oh, makes him mad, doesn't it? I mean, John Waters was in one of the Alvin and the Chipmunks movies. John Waters can do anything. We can do anything. It's a sign. He sh- uh, John Waters might have been one of the Muppets. I don't know. <laughs> he might have been a Muppet that they came up with, and they were like, we have to make you real and send you out into the world. There's more for you to do than just be here. <laughs> okay, this is from James. Hey, Peter and Effie. I take it from Effie for a minute having a Padawan braid that he's a Star Wars fan. Are you guys also Star Trek fans? What is your favorite Star Trek show and character? Okay, here's the thing about Star Trek. I think I oopsied myself out of loving Star Trek more than I would for a few reasons. One, one time when I was growing up, uh, we didn't know the difference, and we watched like nine Star Trek movies in a weekend, and I was like too young for it, and it probably would have hit harder. Two, used to work with this guy who was like way too into Star Trek. So every time something would go wrong, he would bring up Star Trek as an example to how we could solve this problem. And at a certain point when you're running a business, you're like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, seriously. Captain Kirk is not fucking here. Fucking, these are not aliens. 
They dropped a piano, dude. His foot is broken. Don't, just shut the fuck up. So because of those reasons, I don't think I've ever gotten as deeply into Star Trek as I could. I watched the cartoon they had out the other day that I really enjoyed that's on Paramount+. Plus, and I've watched a few episodes of the Picard show, but I think that's probably more of a reflective that I would enjoy even more after watching Star Trek. But I did used to watch, I believe, The Next Generation on UPN because it came on after SmackDown when it was basic cable. Wow. So I've got a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of uh, knowledge. And I will say, too, Carowinds in North Carolina, the Paramount theme park, had the Borg Assimilator Coaster, which was Star Trek themed, and it was sick. Oh, that sounds... Uh, so, Star Trek was approved media when I was a kid. Really? So, we had... Because my dad watched the original series and okay. everything. And so, Next Generation was on, and we would get videotapes from people in the States. And so, you know, you could it like six hours of content on there yeah and so we had a couple of take i can like remember them specifically saying star trek next gen and it was just a bunch of episodes so i watched all of those i watched all the movies uh i am a Riker boy i 100 percent defend Riker. I wow think he's incredible wow you got the switch from like the clean shaven yeah. to the beard and there is a lot of non-riker love out there i feel like and i feel like he's uh he's a glue guy you can't have a lot of moments. Without- I, I also watched that other show where he was like the, he was doing, it was like unsolved mysteries or something like that, but it was him. It was Jonathan Frakes as the host. Yes. Yes. There's, there, there's like incredible super cuts of him like right. asking questions. And I think every kind of category has the meme where they use that super cut, but there's one that was like, Hey, we, we need you to wrestle after intermission. And he was like, it's not possible. It never happened. <laughs> like just that whole idea of uh, no, never, never. It was actually false. He was not do this. I love that. The supercuts are necessary. Media rehashing as meme. It's how we all stay alive. I couldn't handle Jordy though because he was also the reading rainbow guy, and I love that. And I couldn't get over glasses. the fact that he wasn't blind. Like just it threw, like as a kid, I couldn't handle the discrepancy between the well, two. Well, you don't have to take his word for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a reading rainbow joke bro reading rainbow rips dude yeah, how do we get kids to read we make a tv show about how cool it is to read and they think tv shows are cool so then they want to read come on dude lavar burton what a fucking legend amazing and he's amazing, chilling now amazing. dude he's chilling yeah god um okay this is from kip think we'll see an effie slash ashton team up again seeing y'all win the belts at AEW loud was the highlight of 2021 I have so much fun tag teaming with Ashton Starr. Ashton obviously had a great singles match with Sandra Moon, which sometimes you book matches because you're like, both of these people are good at wrestling. One of them is named Starr, and one of them is named Moon. This is great. And they had a phenomenal match, but teaming with Ashton, there's an attitude we both sort of have that comes out when we're together, where we're sort of like, is that too petty? And we're like, no. And it's very like catty gay energy, but we're both very good at wrestling. So it worked well as a team. And, you know, we didn't get that many title defenses. I've still got the belt at my house that I'm supposed to give back to Murder One, who I wouldn't steal things from Murder One. I probably should give Murder One his stuff back. His name is Murder One. Uh, I would love to team with Ashton again. I hope it comes up. And I would love to do a singles with Ashton again. We haven't done that in forever. It's something that like, I bring it up with other guys in wrestling. I remember bringing it up the other day with Jordan Oliver, and he was like, oh, Ashton's fucking good at wrestling. And to kind of share a ring with someone, like we had a, Pussy had a tag match that we lost at Pride and Vibe against uh, Ashton Starr and AC Mack. And so I had that singles with AC Mack this Sunday for the belt, 
and I've had singles with Ashton. It's just when you're in the ring with people who are very good at wrestling, and this weekend I was, AC Mack, phenomenal. Orange Cassidy, obviously, one of the best out there. Like, just one of the best paced wrestlers there is. Knows when to speed it up, slow it down. When you're in there with professionals like that, you don't have to second guess yourself. You feel better than you are. Uh, another person that's like that is Serpentico, who you will see on AEW. He does a lot of enhancement matches to make people look good because he's the fucking best at wrestling. And so it's there's a confidence to it. I want to be in the ring with Ashton Star way more. I'm honored to have been a tag team champion with Ashton Star. But if you're not booking Ashton Star, you should. I know he was just in like Seattle area Sunday, so he's getting out there, but he should be out there way more. Sweetheart of a human being. Sweetheart. Oh my goodness. But also we'll tell you like it is. Like if you're like, we should go do this, he'll be like, no, here's why. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I agree. And then we don't go do that. Uh, rant. Okay. Do you, going back to Star Trek for a half a second, do you remember when William Shatner did a show where it was him just doing 911 calls? Yes. I've told this to people and they think that I'm making it up and I have to go prove to them that this Rescue is real. 911 was a show. If you really look through the Shatner filmography, he's done some really weird shit. That dude stays working whether you think it's good work or not, he will stay working. And now he does a lot of like commercial work too. I'm into it. Shatner. I loved when he was just like, I'm going to have a music career, but I'm just going to talk the whole time. I'm going to say I'm a rocket man. <laughs> rocket man. Uh, we can't talk about Star Trek without bringing up the greatest Star Trek music by proxy of all time, which is Leonard Nimoy singing the Hobbit song. Yes. It is so goddamn good. Yes. And that original animated Hobbit movie is kind of like the pinnacle of that fantasy animation style. Like what an incredible version. I love, I've really enjoyed rings of power. It's a little slow. Radagrass showed up. I'm loving Lord of the Rings on that, but to see Leonard Nimoy just be like, no, I love these books so much. And they're making a cartoon. I got to sing a song about the Hobbit and put it out. Incredible stuff. So rings of power gets the F E cosign. Yeah, I think so. We're only three episodes in. And I think that there's a lot where people are confused by it. And especially seeing like, these the sort of pre hobbits uh that are the the nomad people yeah they were there was a scene last week where they were like these people don't seem like good people and it's like yeah why do you think they eventually had to like kind of settle in and stop being nomads because it was a lifestyle that was putting them against each other when they didn't want to be and they had to keep moving so they wouldn't die and their horribleness had to be found in kind of placing themselves so they didn't have these same things that they had to deal with yeah there's a lot of stuff where people are like this isn't like i remember Go read the Silmarillion, you losers. I've been reading it on the plane. Holy fuck. I told my mom, I was like, I'm reading the Silmarillion. And she was like, good fucking luck. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, you read me The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings growing up when I was a child. And then I read them on my own. And she was like, yeah, but I'm not getting through that. <laughs> I'm not. It's too much for me. I remember that was one of the movies where um, my whole family went together, like extended family. And I was like, how are we allowed to see this fantasy stuff? But there's a, just such good character elements that... They all cried at Return of the King. It was beautiful. Everybody, just a moment. Hobbits can do anything. We're all hobbits in the end, you know? Mm -hmm. We feel like we're not capable. We feel like we're too small. It's too big a journey, too big a task. We can do it. We might be we might be succumb to the powers of the ring at some points, but find your Samwise Gamgee, baby. He's not gonna he's not gonna let you go. Rudy gonna save you. <laughs> okay, last question. Uh, hi, Effie and Peter. As adults, I don't feel like we get asked these questions enough. What is your favorite dinosaur and what is your favorite cryptid? Oh, my God. This is great. Okay. 
So my favorite dinosaur is duckbill dinosaur because they go down and they eat by the water's edge, but they look like kind of like raptors. Also, I saw someone on Twitter uh, that was basically giving dinosaurs like not just feathers, but like fancy bird feathers, like real poofy cockatiel feathers. And I'm very fascinated by this because there's no proof that dinosaurs weren't covered in feathers. Mm-hmm. You know, they're scaly creatures. I do remember, though, being real into Stegosaurus, too, after learning that like the the spikes are there kind of for protection, but they're also sort of like a, a heat thing that keeps their bodies regulated in temperature. Really? Yeah. So there's sort of these heat plates that can absorb energy and kind of hold time. And then if it gets cold, they kind of hold the energy there. I'm very fascinated by dinosaurs. I love going to see them in museums. Um, I don't believe we lived at the same time as dinosaurs, much to the chagrin of uh, Bible folks who point out the great lizards or whatever in the Garden of Eden. Um, But I do think we should clone them and bring them back. There's no worry to that, is there? No. Yeah, I think we'll be fine. It's worked out great every time they've done it. Yeah, and listen, if things get out of hand... Chris Pratt, I'm sure he can pray us out of it. They're working on cloning a mammoth right now. I'm into this. I want to recreate the Prince Ali coming on an elephant scene with a mammoth, Wooly. You know? I'd like to have a filleted mammoth, but I think we're a little off of that. We won't get into this towards the end of the episode again. Which is the dinosaur that they found out was just absolute absolutely made up like they just put a bunch it was a brontosaurus brontosaurus is made up that's they my just favorite mixed some one. parts yeah. yeah which it was like an allosaurus or no that's like a dino that's a different thing it was something they mixed two sources yeah and mixed some sources and they were like it's all made up shit and kids are like is that a real dinosaur and they're like yeah and in reality they're like none of it. we just mixed bones we just been sticking bones together my parents showed me that scene and only that scene when I was real little. Because, uh, of course, everything was like very, they're like, you can't see any of the, like, the violent stuff yeah, that's yeah. happening in this. And the cautionary I, portion. I apparently started simultaneously crying, jumping up and down on the couch, and my entire body turned red. Like I just overloaded. Yeah. Well, and also, you, you know, like if I'm a little kid growing up, like I've seen lions and tigers and things and antelopes and weird zebras. But never in person, and it's just as much a, f- a myth as seeing a dinosaur. So, like, that was pretty good CGI for 95, baby. I imagine after seeing lions as a child, and they're real, this isn't that far of a stretch. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. it, you're probably not going like, no, this is myth. There's a difference in these... No, this is like, where are these guys at? What part of the safari is this on? Yeah, uh, th- That was... I was very... Because dinosaurs are my favorite thing when I was a kid. <sighs> And I remember being very aware of being on safari and being like, not that different. Not that different. With an elephant, dude, elephants and dinosaurs, pretty similar. We we also used to, this is a little morbid, but we used to find like dead uh, bodies of animals all yeah. the time because that's just like kind of the thing. And I remember one time we saw a giraffe uh, decomposing. And Bra- I, I a couple bones, a couple feathers out of there. Just, the I mean, giraffe bone, sorry, man. I love this. <laughs> a little African I've never I had the moment <laughs> to walk up on the giraffe corpse. I'm sorry. But it just, I, you know, it just hit me then. I was like, dinosaur, 100%. Uh, speaking of giraffes, one time my friend used to run a, my friend's dad used to run a pet crematorium. Great business. And a giraffe. Did you say a pet crematorium? Yes. Okay. And a giraffe died at the zoo. And he said... I said, isn't it too big for the oven? And he goes, not if you cut it in thirds. Oh, my God. 
horrible. I'm sorry, y'all. This is horrific. But this is a real, like, that's my interaction with a dead giraffe is my friend's dad telling me you had to cut it into thirds if you wanted to get it through the crematorium. He goes, I can fit a horse, but not a giraffe. I love it. Amazing. What's your favorite cryptid? Oh, chupacabra. It's the most fun to say. And I'm pretty sure cranberry is a chupacabra. Here's my thing. If y'all see chupacabras out there, leave them be. Is it a fox? Is it a wolf? Is it a cat? Doesn't matter. It's chupacabra. Leave it be. Let it have some chickens. It's probably hungry. All right. Why do you think it looks like that? Could be mange. Could be. That's what chupacabras look like. And you're being visually rude to the chupacabra. What about you, Peter? I like the, I don't think they have a name, but there's this phenomenon of people driving down the road, like just random back stretches of road and seeing cats with human faces. Okay. How did, mm. <laughs> is this uh were they always cats or were they brought back as human cats or were I, this is kind of a newer phenomenon mm-hmm. there's not like a ton of hit there's like a little sprinkles throughout history here and there of cats with human faces but it's a thing it makes me very nervous what size are these cats like I'm... regular size cats okay. but it's like steve buscemi's face Ooh. on the cat do you think someone's breeding specific cats? Because I get online sometime in these like Arabian cats they have that they're making. They look like Dobby the house elf, and they're yeah. breeding them specifically for that. Maybe there's someone with a farm, and they're getting out, and these little humanoid cats. I want to see if they can speak uh, words. I think cats could probably speak words. I think there's an alternate universe where cats did better than monkeys, and we're sort of like being kept as pets, and there's cat people just walking around, and I they never it. needed thumbs, and they built a world around not needing thumbs. Do you know that apes are considered to be in the Iron Age now? Really? Yeah, they're like making tools. I'm into this. I like a double evolution happening at the same time. I just hope that they conquer us completely. We're getting soft, okay? Humans, we're really cocky about being at the top of the food chain. So much so that like, I mean, factory farms is kind of a sign we've gone too far. I think it's time for us to be conquered. And I hope that we're sort of Mark Wahlberg by the uh, by the planet of these Iron Age apes. God, that movie. But I love, but I love Helena Bottom Carter, even though she's partially an ape. It's fine T- to me. It's fine. I've been with hairier girls before. It's not a big deal. I don't think it's a problem. She's beautiful. Look at her. She's beautiful. We have very similar things because we're built on the same evolutionary structure. What year is it? Is it the Statue of Liberty? Oh my God! It's the trees. <laughs> I did. I, I think I forgot to put it up, but I did take a picture with the Mark Wahlberg side of the Mall of America. I saw. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that was in the video. That yeah, was in the okay. video. Yeah, yeah. You were not smiling, and then you crept up to it and then posed. <laughs> How was that Wahlberg? Was it too soft of a Wahlberg? I feel like it was a good Planet of the Apes Wahlberg that I just. Did. It's he's a really tough impression. The Andy Samberg nailed it by yeah. like not really doing an impression of him, but like also doing an impression of him. I just I. It just makes me sad he couldn't stop 9-11 <laughs> as we reflect on it. I'm also happy that, like, officially I can, I can, we can have a new meaning for 9-11 in my life. You know, it's haunted me forever. Now it's the day I officially am cast on a Netflix show. Out loud. 9-11. I'm not going to forget. It was a good 9-11 this year. Uh, okay. We have to go back one second. I've been real cool with the TSA. Okay. We've been great. Like, I get it. Like, and... The way I'm dealing with the TSA and being good with the TSA, it's very much so like, the surfs are happy, so I must let them plod the mud. Like, I'm being kind of a dick by saying, like, I'm glad it brings you purpose to have this job and I won't judge you. Like, I get it. I'm being kind of a cunt still. Pardon my French. 
they pulled me. I didn't have time to check the bag, like I said. They pulled me Sunday morning on 9-11, and we're looking through the bag, and three officers had to make the determination of whether or not my jacket could get through security on 9-11. And I was almost like, come on, y'all. It's been through every airport in the U.S. But I was like, you know what? They're being extra cautious today. They think I'm going to put this thing on and just start wolverating people's necks open in the airport. They're wrong. I don't even want to open my bag or have it with me at this point. I'm proud of y'all. Y'all really showing that you're you're trying. I just want to be clear, though. Y'all have not ever caught a terrorist. Not in 20 years. Not ever. So let's just take a breath, okay? Just compliment my jacket. Tell me how stylish I am. Tell me how cute it is. It's aggressive and gay and beautiful. I'm like Bret Hart on acid. I get it. But don't hold me up getting to the flight at 6 a.m. I'm not attacking nobody with this thing. Shout out TSA. Y'all are going to be obsolete soon, but just... As long as you feel like you're still doing something special, I'm on I'm on your team. I always remember to take my shoes off. It's important. Well, it's not, but <laughs>